Welcome back. This is Caffeinated Bible Chatter, back with our second episode today. Uh, this is Kyle O'Shields. I'm here with Dylan Brown. Dylan, how you doing today? Man, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, uh, I'm locked and, and loaded, ready to go on this second episode. I feel like the uh, the steam engine has been cranked up as of last last week, and I'm ready to make it happen again. All right. Um, so if you, if you did miss last week, you didn't get to tune in. Um, that was our very first podcast, so so go easy on us. Um, my wife already told me earlier today that we need to quit talking with our hands because she could she could hear us smacking yes, the table. Amen. Amen. So, That's uh, me, mainly, mainly. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I've placed some blankets on Dylan's side of the table so yes. he can softly smack the table today. Yes. Uh, that's just the that's just the fundy preacher coming out in me. Yeah, not really. I don't know. But I, I, yeah, it's like a pulpit or something with a table. It, it's really bad. And it, I was cringing when I. I mean, first episode, like we were listening to it. And I was driving in my car, and the bass, I guess, the settings on my, the bass of my car were higher. And every time I hit it, it was. I don't know if it was like this for y'all, but it was coming through my my speakers, and I cringed <laughs> immediately. So we're gonna try to prevent that this time. Yep, yep. There we go. Um, but uh, last week, our, on our first episode, we basically just did a, why do we want to do this, right? Why do we want to do a podcast? Um, and one of the key places Dylan went to, one of the key verses was David and Goliath. Uh, he went to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 29. Um, and in that verse, David said, is there not a cause? Um, and I, I think there, there's a great cause for this, right? Uh, Absolutely. It's, it's no secret that the Bible is, is constantly under attack, right? Um, there, there's heresy out there. Um, and our, our goal with this podcast is to, to study this word, to rightly divide this, uh, this book here in front of us. Um, and, and to, I don't know if this is the right, to combat that heresy, I guess you could say. Um, but, but our goal here is to study second Timothy two fifteen. study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, and we talked a little bit last week about uh, the traditions of man, right? Second uh, Peter chapter one says there's no private interpretation, right? Uh, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. And then this is in chapter one. The next verse says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Um, so, so it's not up to, it's a no private interpretation. It's not up to me to give you my opinion on what it says. Uh, it's, it's up to the author of the book himself. Right. right. Um, and that's kind of what we were getting at last week. That's our goal. Um, it's just to study this thing on, and it's cool to do it on this platform. Uh, and one of the, the second things Dylan said last week was, why do we want to do a podcast? Well, because he just wanted to. That's right. That's right. Just, (laughs) So that I could look on our downloads and see Poland and Canada in our first week. And those are people that maybe will never come back and listen, but that was just, yeah. I've joked with my wife all week that uh, we're, we're famous. Yeah. All 50 downloads were yeah. famous. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually shocked at the amount of downloads. It was pretty crazy um, for, for one episode, just a, just yeah. a little intro. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that was just a little recap of last week. Um, if you missed it, maybe maybe go back and tune into it. Uh, but now we'll we'll get into the second episode this week, and we'll, we'll I'll throw it to to Dylan. <laughs> yeah. So last week, like, like Kyle was laying out, we you know laying out the the fact that we wanted to do this because you know scripture's under attack. Um, even <clears throat> and I may have a cough occasionally, and we may edit that out, and we may not. So just roll with us if, if that's the case. Um, but we laid out how there is. 
again, an attack on Scripture. And even if the people, okay, there are preachers out there that have an attack on Scripture that don't say that they're attacking Scripture. Now, that, that probably needs to be said because you may think, well, I've, I've never listened to anybody that seems to be attacking Scripture. But when they're constantly correcting Scripture, when they're constantly, re- again, like we talked about with Satan in Genesis 3, the serpent, redefining it, reinterpreting it, um, all of those things are an attack on Scripture. And so that brought us in and rolled us into uh, to this week, and you, you can already see the title of the episode, obviously, but on this whole thing of approaching the Word of God literally versus allegorically. Now, uh, if that, if those are fancy terms for you, I think it depends, you know, some of our listeners may have heard those terms. Those are terms used by the, by, you know, just Christian circles and stuff like that. But, uh, if you, if you haven't heard that, um, we know what literal means, but I did write down some definitions just because I'm pretty stupid and this is kind of how I study, but Literal means, obviously, taking words in their usual or most basic sense without metaphor or allegory. It's funny they actually put that in the, this is just a random dictionary.com definition, but they they mention allegory in that. And then the definition of allegory is a story, poem, or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. So, this is the whole thing in all of this, is you're either going to approach the Word of God one of two ways. You're going to approach it in a literal way, or you're going to approach it in an allegorical way, which is obviously why we're breaking these two things down. Now, I'll say this, we are not denying the fact that there are allegorical uh, sections of Scripture. Um, you know, Jesus uses, he uses that, that type of teaching often in the, in the four Gospels. Uh, he uses parables a lot of, I mean, that's a lot of his teaching is parables. Okay, so, I mean, that's certainly connected with with an, an allegorical method. It's not a literal thing, although it does have something that is calling us to apply in those things. But uh, he also uses, you know, hyperbole. He, he takes things and he exaggerates them to, to uh, bring emphasis to something. I, I, my mind goes straight to, and I don't have the reference in front of me, but when he says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. I think he uses kingdom of God reference there in Luke. Uh, but but nonetheless, that obviously is not literal because there are rich people that get saved. And I don't believe there's ever been a camel that has went through an eye of a needle. Okay, we, we get that. So he's using hyperbole. So we're not denying the fact that those are not, that, that stuff is not in scripture. Another example of this, and Kyle, if you want to uh, grab, Kyle's got his, his Bible here, uh, Hosea uh, 12.10 is a, is a popular reference for what I'm about to say, because again, I've made mention of, of you know, Jesus using hyperbole, him using parables, and we, by the way, we, we study and, 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 and believe that the Bible has plenty of types. There are plenty of types of Christ in the Bible. Matter of fact, the entire Bible is a picture book of Jesus Christ. And, of course, the theme of the Bible, as we kind of laid out last week, is his second coming and his kingdom that he sets up. So everything is, is picturing those uh, those things about, about Christ. So we're not denying that. Another example here that the reference I had Kyle turn to is Hosea 12.10, and this is called a similitude, which is a similar, very similar to an allegory or very similar to, uh, uh, you know, 
an example, you know, a picture of something uh, in Scripture. And so, Big Calf, you got that. You can read that reference. Yep. Hosea twelve ten. I have also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions and used simil- similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Okay, so the Lord says there, Old Testament reference, that He uses similitudes. Okay, so and again, we saw perfect. Uh, we, there's plenty of examples of that when Jesus was actually on Earth in, in His teaching. Okay, another reference to again, just trying to show you that we're not saying that this is this doesn't exist, and we'll we'll get further into this. But another example in Scripture is, uh, we'll see, Galatians four, Galatians four verse twenty four, and the, the word allegory is actually in our King James Bible, and it says this, which the, uh, Paul says in verse twenty three, he says, but he, but he who was of a bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was was by promise. Now, he's talking about Isaac and Ishmael there with with uh, Hagar and Sarah and, and Abraham and that whole deal in the book of Genesis. But then he says this in verse twenty four, right, right after that, which things so those the example of Ishmael and, and uh, Isaac with Hagar and Sarah. Verse twenty four he says, which things are an allegory. Okay, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai. Which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. Okay, so <clears throat> very clear. I don't want you to, to miss that, that that in all of this, we understand that that uh, there, there are times that there are allegorical, uh, you know, layouts in Scripture. Okay, we actually subscribe to the Bible having three layers of application at all times anyway. Those three layers being historical application, and we'll probably get into some of these things down the road. We'll probably eventually do a series on rules of Bible study, but we believe in that there's a historical application. Okay, um, that is the backdrop of what was going on during the time of when, when that book was 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 laid out. <clears throat> so you take a, an, an Old Testament reference, um, Proverbs, for instance. Uh, Proverbs one talks about. Solomon writing to his son. Let me let me go to Proverbs one here. So let's see. So Proverbs one, it says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding. And he goes into several things here, and he eventually lays out here in this chapter that he is writing to his son. He actually references his son all throughout the book which is Rehoboam. Okay, so historically, just to show you an example of that, that is the historical application. Okay, but we also subscribe to devotional application and doctrinal application. The devotional application there is is that Solomon, because he's the son of David, he is picturing Jesus Christ, and therefore it is Jesus Christ referencing his son, which is anybody, according to John 1.12, that has received Christ. And to as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even even to them that believe on his name. Okay, but also we believe in doctrinal application. So that same reference there in Proverbs, I'm just showing you the three layers, how it, how it manifests itself in, in just this example in Proverbs. But that's also a picture of the, the, the Jew there in the tribulation. Okay, so there's, there's always, so we, my point in all of this, in this, in this rambling maybe, is that we do believe that there are times in Scripture you have to take this approach. Okay, so not everything in the Bible is literal. Okay, but in this whole this whole episode, the point that we're trying to get across is 
we're not talking about the, the, the minority of the, of the time. We're talking about how do we approach Scripture? What is the proper way to, to approach Scripture uh, the majority of the time? So in other words, when you, take, when you take your Bible, when you read it in the morning, when you open that thing, as you begin to dive into a book, is your first go-to to take that thing in an allegorical manner or to take that thing in a literal manner? And so oftentimes when people take it in an allegorical manner, what they do is they're spiritualizing the text, which we believe this is a spiritually discerned book. We, we talked about that last week. But it does not mean that this, does, this thing does not, that God does not, it doesn't mean that God is not saying exactly what he means. So that is the way that we, that me and Big Kai, approach scripture. We believe it is to be taken literally. We believe that God says what he means and he means what he says. And that sounds cute and that sounds over simplistic but that really is the bones of it that is that is what we believe god has laid out what's the old saying Kyle, uh of taking it literally until you can't uh, fire that uh, way out the old saying where the plain sense of scripture makes good sense seek no other sense there you go and so yeah i mean we literally you, you want to approach this book literally until you can't is, is what kyle's saying there so uh, I mean, that is, that is, the, the, so the problem is, and we, I was talking about rules of Bible study. Uh, many of the, of the pastors that I've learned under and throughout my life and stuff, they would always say the key, the, the biggest rule of Bible study is context. Now, I get what they're saying. I, 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 I agree with them. Context is so huge. That's how you get 50 different belief systems from the same book. But I will say that in the day and age that we're in, it may be that you have to go a step a step back and the key of all keys in this whole thing is literal interpretation because there's so many people that that used to be a given I, th- I feel like but nowadays at least with people our age and we're again we're in our late 20s it seems as though that is not a a, a, a well-known thing you that you don't approach this book literally until you can't that you approach it just however you want so I've laid, I wrote down just two simple things when I was kind of brainstorming through this stuff on the problems with an allegorical method. Okay, so again, if that is my primary go-to interpretation system, uh, allegorical, you know, if it's if it's an allegorical manner, what's the problem with that? Well, for number one, the problem with that is it makes the truth of God's word subjective. Okay, so I don't know about you, but and Big Kai could amen this. Uh, one of the biggest things that drives us crazy, like if you were to watch the news, no, nobody watches the news these days. Not if you're under 40. If you're under 40 and you watch the news, you're a rarity. <laughs> but no, nobody watches the news these days. But if you were to watch the news, the biggest thing that drives me crazy is all the coverage they give to, to, like, to liberals. And if you're a liberal, God bless you, keep listening. But to liberals and people like that, that... Uh, they don't believe in absolute truth. That's the problem they have with everything. Everything to them is subjective. Everything to them is subjected to how they feel uh, that day, which, by the way, could be different than the week before. And so everything is, is subjective. Well, the problem is that liberalism, even in Christian circles, has creeped in in the Word of uh, as far as approaching the Word of God. And they'll literally, that when they again, when they're looking at the Word of God in an allegorical manner, they're, they're saying, okay, well, what does this really mean? And like Kyle was saying earlier, that sounds a whole lot, when you get into those weeds, that sounds a whole lot like private interpretation. When you can't take the words for the face value that they're, they're laid out. 
And it, it also sounds a whole lot like Genesis 3, like we talked about last last episode, where the serpent is redefining God's word back to Eve. Okay, so that's the that's the biggest problem with it, is it makes the truth of God's word subjective. Well, this isn't this book is absolute truth. Okay, so when you do that, you're taking literally, I mean, John 17, 17 says, Thy word is truth. Okay, and the second reason, there's probably a dozen of these, but I just wrote down two main things that came to mind. A second thing is that it makes the person, okay, the person that's approaching God's word, is what I'm talking about, it makes that person the final authority rather than the word of God being the final authority, which is very similarly, it's number one. But it, it, it puts the final authority, it puts them in that box rather than the Bible. And again, that's just such a dangerous thing because then you now, if you take that manner, <clears throat> that method, you now have the ability to navigate what you want the scriptures to say rather than what they say. And so those are just the two the two biggest the two biggest problems that that came to my mind uh when laying all this out. So uh you know so when looking at all this, I, again I've I've said that it's a it's a massive problem. It's a it's a big issue in today. Where where you really see this come to head or where you really see this exposed or manifested is with prophecy specifically. So they they do it with a lot of people that take an allegorical method. They do it with a lot of things. They do it with the whole Bible. But specifically, you see it show up the most in, in their eschatology when they're talking about end time stuff. Okay? And so there there are actually three. So we, we said last week, and in, in, uh, I'm kind of chasing, chasing different rabbits here, but there we believe that the theme of the Bible is the millennium. The, the second coming of Christ. It, when, when Jesus Christ literally comes back to this earth uh, to set up his kingdom. Now, I didn't say that that's, that's our favorite part of the word of God. Or that that is the biggest thing that, that matters to me or to you or whatever. Okay, Because most people when they hear that they think, well, the, the theme of the Bible is salvation. Okay, that's the most important thing to us. But in order for it to be a theme, uh, you have to see what the whole book is continuing to relay back to, and that is the second coming of Christ, because that's when he gets the glory that's due his name. So, it's interesting to me, with that being the theme of the Bible, it's interesting to me that all these people that take an allegorical approach to Scripture, that it seems to be in prophecy specifically where they get so messed up in this allegorical approach. Okay, and the book of Revelation actually says that prophecy is the testimony of Christ. So again, it's no coincidence that Satan's very subtle, like we talked about last week, and he's done that. So Kyle, if you want to go to Acts, Acts chapter three. But again, there's so there's what I was getting at is there's three layer, there's three approaches to the millennium. There are people that are pre-millennium, which are people like us. We believe that <clears throat> Jesus has to come back. Before his millennium is set, I'm sorry, before his kingdom is set up on earth. You would think that would be a no-brainer. Because, like, how is Jesus setting up his kingdom without being in the kingdom? That's the pre-millennial view. You also have a post-millennial view, which is people that believe that the the kingdom is set up and then Jesus comes back. And then you have an all-millennial view, which believes there's actually no legitimate millennium at all. Ah, millennium means no, like there is none. And so 
the problem with, 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 with people that take this type of approach, they, they arrive at, at that type of destination where they don't believe, they don't even believe that Jesus is actually going to come back. And by the way, I don't, I don't know who all, you know, who all is going to be listening to this faithfully, but there's a good chance that many of the people that you may even listen to or your friends may listen to actually believe that. Okay, because where this allegorical approach first got started was in the Catholic Church. Okay, you got nothing against Catholics. I love them, but they don't they don't believe the Bible like we do. And so that's where this whole thing got off the ground. But it's interesting that when you start studying the history of the allegorical method, is that that is also it gets its roots and gets connected into Calvinism, and I'll explain that here in a second. But so again, uh, Kyle, read Acts, Acts chapter 3 in that whole deal. Uh, I want to show you, my point in this is that, that we said that we take a literal approach to Scripture, meaning that we literally believe that Jesus Christ is going to come again. Okay, the first church also believed that. This is not just us. The first church also believed that, because this is Peter here in Acts 3 preaching to Jews, and he's talking about the second coming, and listen to how what he, his take on that. You want me to just start in verse one? Uh, do I'm oh, sorry. Do verse seventeen through twenty-one. Oh. My bad. Uh, seventeen. Acts three seventeen. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all His prophets that Christ should suffer, He hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. You, mean, you want to stop me? Or you want to yeah, that's good. That's good. All right. Okay, so what's going down here is this is a chapter after Pentecost. So Jesus, Jesus dies at the end of the Gospels. He dies, he resurrects, he ascends back to the Father. We even see that in Acts 1. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens. What we see in the early, in the book of Acts, Acts is a transitional book, we see that, that the Lord is still offering repentance to the nation of Israel, even though they've killed their Messiah. Okay? They've, they have crucified Christ, and, uh, but, but he's still offering repentance to them. So Peter is preaching here repentance. He's preaching and telling them, hey, you need, you, know, you need to wake up to what has happened, to who Jesus is and all these things, and you need to repent. But, but again, notice as Kyle read, that court, what Peter says in verse 20 is that, hey, guys, based on your repentance, if you'll do this, uh, verse 20 it says, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. So what is what is what is Peter saying there? He's saying that if Israel would have repented, he would have literally sent Jesus that God, the Father, would have literally sent Jesus Christ back to the earth right then and there for the second advent. Okay, now we don't have to get have time to get into the weeds of what all that would have looked like with the church age and because obviously things didn't play out that way, Israel didn't repent. We'll get into that and maybe dispensationalism or something, but we don't have time to chase that rabbit trail. But then if you go over to uh, Big Cat, check out Acts chapter 7. So my point in that, that reference in Acts 3 was Peter believed and, and is telling these, these Israelites, hey, 
Jesus Christ will literally come back. Okay, it's hard to mess that up. So my point is, we, we, we're saying now that we believe in the literal return of Christ. Why do we believe that? Well, because the Bible says he's literally going to come back. But the first century also, the first century church, the apostles, those guys, they also believe that. Okay? And then so that brings me to Acts 7. And Cal, I should have written this, this reference down. But do you see it in your Bible where it's talking about... But this is, so Acts 7 is, is Stephen talking uh, Stephen preaching, and this is this is what we believe. This is the final offer to Israel to repent over the whole over the whole shindig, okay? And we believe in this whole thing, the the, the first seven chapters of Acts, that if Israel would have repented, again, like like Peter said in Acts three, Jesus would have come back. Now he would still would have offered salvation to the Gentiles. Everything his plan still would have been unfolded. It just would have been done differently than it was because God always allows us a free will. But it does not contradict his sovereignty. He still is able to accomplish his will, despite man's free uh, despite man's free will. So, in Acts seven, just to show you an example of that, it's it's verse fifty five. Big guy, read verse fifty four and verse fifty five. So again, this is Stephen, the first martyr, preaching to Israel, just like Peter was, asking them to repent. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Okay, so what we know from Scripture is that Jesus even tells his disciples that he is going to be seated at the right hand of God. Okay, this is the only reference that we have as Pete, as, as excuse me as Stephen is preaching to Israel. This is the only reference we have that where Jesus is no longer seated at the, seated at the right hand of God, he is now standing. Well, again, if you cross-reference that to the reference we just read in Acts 3 where Peter says, hey, if you repent, he'll send Jesus. What we know from Acts 7 was Jesus is standing ready and willing to return right then and there if Israel would have repented. Okay, so my point in all that, long rabbit trail there. I hope you like Bible doctrine because we like it here and we'll get into some long rabbit trails like that. Okay, if you don't like that, if you don't like uh, Bible doctrine, uh, it's probably a nice way to say this, but... You're probably going to be bored by this channel, okay? So, but if you like it, hang around. So my point in all that is, is the first church, they most definitely believed that Christ was literally going to return. Okay, so that, that brings us to this question. Well, how did we get to the place where so many, because again, not this is not a bluff, but so many people take this allegorical approach as their main approach to Scripture. So how did we get here? Well, as I said before, the Catholic Church, they take this, this approach to Scripture. <clears throat> and this is, this is not a, something that I'm saying. This is something that they're pretty open about. <clears throat> it's just like, just, they're as open about that as I am that I take it literal. Okay? And so that, that starts with the Catholic Church. But also... When, when studying this whole thing out, even guys that are living today that take an allegorical approach to Scripture, they even acknowledge that the first century church took things literally. Especially, again, we're talking about prophetic things. They took that The first church took things literally as we just laid out in the book of Acts. Acts 3 specifically. But what happens here is we see when studying out how this, this allegorical approach got uh, interwined with, in the church and in, in Christianity... It actually starts off 
with a guy or the, the, the one of the main guys was this guy by the name of Clement. And Clement started a school, a Bible school, Christian school, whatever, started a school in Alexandria, Egypt. Now, we believe from, from Scripture that whenever somebody's going to Egypt, in Scripture, they're always going down to Egypt. Now, granted, it is south, ge geographically, of Israel. But it's a picture. See, we, we're not against all allegorical yeah. stuff. We believe in pictures and types. But it is a picture that Egypt is the world. Yeah. That's why Israel was saved out of out of Egypt. Just like you and I, if you've, if you've accepted Christ, we're saved from the bondage of this world, from ourselves, from sin. Okay, so, but this guy named Clement, he starts a school in Alexandria, Egypt. Again, don't want to chase a rabbit trail. I did say last week that we are King James, King James guys. Don't hold that against us. But I will say it is interesting that, that, that all of modern versions, they use a Greek text that is from Alexandria, Egypt. Okay, And by the way, again, that's not something that I'm saying as a critic of modern versions. That is something that they boast about. That they have the oldest and best manuscripts that are from Alexandria. They're Alexandrian texts. Okay, but again, it's interesting that this is directly, this is the same place that this allegorical approach uh, began to, to grow or to, to gain steam, if you will. So it starts there, <clears throat> so around, excuse me, around 190 AD <clears throat> by this guy named Clement in, the, in Egypt, right? Alexandria, Egypt. And what he did <clears throat> is he took the Bible and took the, uh, his interpretation of the Bible and mixed it with philosophy. Because that's really what that type of approach to scripture is. Again, it, it makes that person the final authority. So it's mixed in with philosophy. By the way, this, this guy Clement, to show you his, his deep-rooted uh, connection to Catholicism, this guy taught that purgatory was a Bible doctrine. Again, that's straight Catholicism. Okay, another guy comes on the scene, around, not far, around that same time frame, guy by the name of Origen. Same deal, promoting one of the most well-known, and again, this is not my tale. This is, this is guys that currently, or in the last hundred years, <clears throat> believe in the, the, uh, the allegorical approach. They would say this, that Origen was one of the most key guys in this whole thing. Another guy that was key in this whole approach, one of the most well-known, <clears throat> is Augustine. Okay? Now, if you're a Calvinist, if you're a real Calvinist, then the name Augustine rings a bell to you. Because Augustine is really, when it's all said and done, he's the founder of the whole deal. John Calvin was, was nothing more than a plagiarist, for the most part, of Augustine. Matter of fact, I got a quote by, John, by, by Reverend Calvin right here. I'm kidding about the Reverend thing. <laughs> which says, I actually, <clears throat> I actually don't even like the term reverend. I am uh, a pastor, and I don't like the term reverend. So, but anyway, John Calvin said this, Augustine is so holy within me that if I wish to write a confession of my faith, I could do so with all fullness and satisfaction to myself out of his writings. That's, that's a quote from John Calvin. John Calvin, over throughout his books and stuff, has also supposedly, I'll be honest, I've not read, read Calvin's stuff, but supposedly has quoted Augustine <clears throat> around seven, <coughs> excuse me, we have to edit that out, we may not, 
but around 1,700 times. So my point in all this is, is this is really, this is what I'm getting at. This is what we've been kind of delaying, okay? If you subscribe to Calvinism, you subscribe to an allegorical approach to Scripture. And that is why we can confidently say that an allegorical approach to Scripture is so rampant today. Because, by the way, Calvinism is rampant. And I'm specifically talking about people that are around the age of me and Kyle. Calvinism is so rampant and so wild. And, and again, if you're a Calvinist, <clears throat> I, I, I keep listening. You may hate you may hate hate it, the stuff coming. I don't know, but you know, I of course want you to keep listening. But in this whole thing, Augustine was one of the key guys that that got this allegorical approach that began to grow it, began to make it more mainstream or, or more popular, if you will. Okay, and so <clears throat> that's how you see it relay again into today's time. Is most Calvinists. Don't again. They don't take a literal approach to scripture. No, they would. I, I, a lot of them would, would probably say they do, but again, when they they're amillennial for the most part, for the most part, some of them postmillennial, but they don't believe that Jesus. Most of them do not believe that Jesus Christ is going to physically return. Now, now you got you got to realize this. There's a good chance, because if you're a Bible believer like we are, and you don't subscribe to that, you got to be careful who who you just randomly listen to. Because there's a good chance that if it's a mainstream guy, even if he's not talking about the second coming or the lack of one, he there's a good chance he doesn't believe it's going to happen. And I don't know about you, but I have no interest in listening to a guy that doesn't believe that doctrine because, again, that is the theme of the Bible. So if somebody takes that approach to Scripture, two-thirds of, uh, two of the Bible are closed off to that person. Because two-thirds of the Bible are talking about the, the theme of the Bible, the second coming of Christ. I don't know if you've ever read the major prophets or the minor prophets. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Isaiah. Try to go through and read that thing and, and take away the fact that Christ is coming again. The book doesn't make sense. Go read the book of Joel. Go read the book of Zechariah. Go read the book of Malachi. Go, go read, any, go read the, the, the Old Testament. Go read the, your Bible and try to take out the second coming. And, and you, you, you're wasting your time. It, it doesn't make sense when you do that. So, because of that, again, what's so popular now with all of this in Calvinism is, is they, they take, and again, this is not an episode actually to bash Calvinism. It's actually to, to show you the problems with an allegorical approach to Scripture as your primary approach. But it just so happens that the shoe fits here. Okay? And so, because they, they take this approach, most Calvinists, their doctrine in... Uh, and prophecy is all is all crazy, okay? But also, it's not just that. It begins to make its weeds. It begins to, to, to spread its roots into to other doctrines that are, are not just prophetic. Matter of fact, it begins to spread its, its, its roots even into the very doctrine of salvation. Okay, uh, Big Kai, if you want to grab uh, Revelation 22... What what happens here? And again, I, I I get it. What a Calvinist would say when they're approaching some simple text that we're about to lay out is they would say, "Well, the the word there doesn't actually mean that." But again, 
That sounds a whole lot like an allegorical approach to Scripture, which it is. Because we believe the way you define a word is by reading it in its context and comparing Scripture with Scripture where that word is used in other places in the Word of God. The Bible is the greatest commentary on the Bible, and it defines itself for us. A Calvinist or, or, or anybody, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to try not to pick on Calvinism, uh, Catholics, they don't believe that they can interpret Scripture with, uh, scripture with Scripture. They believe they have to spiritualize it and all of that stuff. So, Cal, read uh, it's Revelation 22, 17. 17. All right. 22:17. And when the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Now, I heard a guy one time that, that said this. He said that he was reading that verse to, uh, again, not trying to pick, but just being honest, a Calvinist. A Calvinist person that he knew. And the person said, well, that's your interpretation of the verse. And the guy had to correct him and say, no, 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 I actually didn't interpret anything. I just read the verse. That's just what the verse, he just really quoted it. And so my point is, my point is this, that not only does, does that, that allegorical method with, with Catholics and specifically Calvinists, what we've been talking about the last 15 minutes or so, not only does that show its, its, its roots in prophecy, but it begins to make its, its way in what it's most well known for, begins to make its way into the doctrine of salvation because what they would say they would not believe that that anybody that a thirst can come they definitely don't subscribe to the fact that whosoever will that that person can take of of the water of life freely they would go as far as to say that John chapter 3 that when it says that for God so loved the world that the world doesn't mean the world. It means the elect. Again, that is a picture-perfect example of private interpretation, which has come from an allegorical approach to Scripture because they are spiritualizing that text. They are not taking John 3.16 literally. They, they cannot take Revelation 22.17 literally. I remember... Hearing John Piper, and again, if you like John Piper, God bless you. He's pretty popular. But this is what I was referencing when I say that if you just listen to people, don't just listen to them because they're popular because anybody, because a lot of people can draw a crowd. But I remember listening to an interview with John Piper. And a guy, a guy asked John Piper, how, can, how does someone get saved? Now, obviously, John Piper's a Calvinist. If you didn't know he's a Calvinist, you should not you should have known that before you listened to him, but he's a Calvinist. But John Piper, the weirdest interview I've ever listened to. I knew he was a Calvinist before I listened to it, but it, I, I, it was still awkward. I had those awkward bumps on the back of my neck where my hair was standing up. Not because it was like a good goosebumps, but it was an awkward goosebumps, if you know what I mean. It's one of those deals. And John Piper, when asked the question, how does a man get saved, he danced around like a politician for 20 minutes talking in circles, weaving his way back and forth and gave all kind of explanation to the point, to the point that he actually gave no explanation and never answered the question how a man can be saved. Well, do you know why John Piper never could answer the question 
how a man can be saved? Well, because he doesn't take the Bible literally. Because I'll tell you what I would do. And again, I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm an idiot. I can tell you what Big Cow, Big Cow would do. I can tell you what Bible believers would do. People that take this book literally. They could bust out Acts 16.31 so quick their head, that, that interviewer's head would spin. They could bust out Romans 10.9. They could bust out Romans 6.23. They could bust out Romans 5.8. They could bust out Romans 10.13. They could bust out uh, Ephesians 2.8.9 and, and, and 50 more. Because we believe the Bible is literal. So my point in all of this, and, and, and our point in, in laying all of this out, is this, I'm just trying to show you the dangers of approaching Scripture as your primary thing, as your primary way, your primary rule, the dangers of doing that allegorically. Because again, what it does at the end of the day is you have you have no absolute truth. You have nothing to abs- to actually stand on. Because we we read Revelation twenty two seventeen earlier. Well, it's funny that just a verse later, I mean a, a a few verses later, verse twenty, the second to last verse in the Bible, it says, "He which testifies these things saith, surely I come quickly." Now, if you can spiritualize that. To the point that that doesn't mean that Jesus is literally coming quickly. Then you can spiritualize John 3.16 like the Calvinists and many others do. You then can, can spiritualize Romans 10.9. You know what? Maybe there, maybe it doesn't really mean that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. And it's just this long rabbit trail where you begin to do like John Piper did and do like many others do. Where you're talking in circles and you have no absolute truth. And you're your own final authority. And, and, and the word of God says whatever you feel like it should say on that given day. And friend, it, the common theme is it always goes back to private interpretation. So, I, I, again, uh, as I said last week, I can get wordy. Big Kai knows. Big Kai rolled his eyes ten times in the midst of that. He 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 was literally doing at his his throat, saying, "Cut it, cut it off." <laughs> okay, to, my wife will say the very same thing. But man, this is I believe this is the number one rule in twenty twenty three. Because if we don't take it literally, then we can't know for certain what it says anywhere. And, and that actually, that will roll us into how, okay, so we believe we can interp- we interpret the Bible literally. Well, that rolls us into dispensationalism, which will probably be, I mean, Kyle, have kind of talked about this. Don't you think, Big Kyle, probably be our next few episodes? Yeah. Yeah, you can probably a couple weeks on that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe, I mean, who knows? It may stretch out longer, but that will probably roll <clears throat> into dispensationalism because, the only way you can interpret the Bible literally consistently is dispensationalism, and we'll explain that in weeks to come. So, Big Cow, what's, what's your thoughts? Did I say anything I lied? Did I say anything crazy? No. Did I did I go off the deep end? No. You just you went way way deeper. You went into the history of everything. I didn't know all that. So, <laughs> but uh, no, no, I thought it was it was good stuff. It was great. Um, but yeah, I mean that just. That's letting people know in the in these first couple podcasts we've done that 
what what our approach to this is going to be right we're going to be taking a literal approach um uh, and i i like that that golden rule quote there we said earlier where the plain sense of scripture makes good sense seek no other sense right i mean there's there's no point in trying to make everything an allegory like, what is this right. this verse makes me feel like this or, yes. or whatever um there's just no sense in any of that um but yeah like like dylan just said this will this will most likely after talking about our approach to scripture today uh, it'll most likely lead into the dispensationalism uh, and all that stuff we can do for a few weeks. But um, thanks for tuning back in uh, this week for our second episode. I uh, hope you'll hope you'll stay with us. Hopefully, all all the uh, Calvinism and Catholic talk didn't uh, turn anybody off. Yes, we but, still uh, love you. Hugs and kisses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we love all you guys. Thanks for all the we we got a lot more listens than I thought on that that first one. So yeah, we really appreciate so, it. So uh, yeah, keep coming back. Hope you guys enjoy. And and like we said on that first one, if if things being said on this thing is, is getting you to dig in this word and, and check it out for yourself, well, that's awesome. Um, but but keep coming back and stay tuned for the next episode.